Welcome to episode 12 of Interjections. On this week's episode, we discuss the 2-2 draw at home against Bologna, the midweek Champions League victory over Benfica, and we play a game of buy or sell. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Interjections. This is going to be a really fun episode. I'm your host, Andrew. I've got Irfan, Jay, and Miko with me. Guys, how are you all doing? Hey, it's great. Get to marinate on an inter-loss for about two weeks. Uh, my favorite international break, uh, which I love, is here. And uh, you know there's war in the Middle East, so things are great. <laughs> World order is restored. Crazy inter and a war in the Middle East. Notice how you said uh, inter loss, even though we didn't lose, because it felt like a loss. <laughs> wow. Yeah, good point. Willkommen, meine Freunde, as we all, we could all use the warm embrace of the German language after that display against Bologna. Hey, yeah. Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. Excited to talk about recent events in the inter world. Uh, okay, I want to break from podcast precedents and start by, well, we'll talk about Benfica at the end of the podcast. Let, let's dive right into what happened yesterday against Bologna, because it was a disaster. I, I don't know how else to explain it. You drop points at home to an inferior side after you have a 2-0 lead early in the first half. It, it really felt like after... The, the two goals kind of came from nothing, in my opinion. Their Cherubi header was fantastic. Lautaro's goal was ridiculous. And then as soon as we scored those goals, opportunities ceased to exist. But let's start by talking about the penalty that was. I'll start by asking, do you guys think it was a penalty? Irfan, what do you think? Um, I, it's, I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I think... Um... I, I think it was soft. Uh, I would say it's a probably a 50-50 call. Like I, I can see the ref calling it. Um, ultimately, I feel like there's holding like that on every play, and you could pretty much see that the, that the guy was going down, you know, well before and trying to sell it. But you know, as an inter player, as an inter fan, like you also have to be careful in the box, and you can't you can't give the referee an excuse to give that penalty to the other side. So would I have called it if I was a ref? No. Do I think it was soft? Yes. But do you allow something like that to happen? Um, and, you know, give your, give the ref a chance to call it against you? No. So I kind of blame Lotaro for, for, you know, even making that a possible outcome in that sense. But I, I don't, I don't think it was a solid penalty in any sense. I think it was pretty soft. Jay, what say you? Yeah, I agree with that fun. Um 50-50 could have been given, could have not been given, but you shouldn't be making those kinds of um, fairly obvious. I mean, he had his hands around his waist and kind of you saw that motion of Lautaro kind of holding him and pulling him backwards, right? That was fairly uh, non-debatable. So even if the guy did go down pretty easily, you kind of, the more skilled defenders have a way of not 
showing that they're applying force on the opponent, if you know what I'm saying. Whereas Latarios very obviously was pulling him back, even if the guy was falling. So, yeah, great with Irfan. 50-50 could have gone either way, but we have to look at Lataro, I'm afraid, and say this is his uh, mistake here. Miko, I have a feeling you're going to advocate this isn't a penalty. Yeah, well, I would say I agree with what you you guys said, that it's a 50-50. It was a, to me, it was a weak, weak call, but then again, uh, as Jay pointed out, it was pretty visible there in, in normal set pieces when there's like a lot of a lot of players around and if 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 defender does that to an attacker it might be like a bit of a uh, hidden hidden fall uh, uh, inside inside this kind of a scrum scrum of players but there it was pretty visible since the ball was coming to the player i don't remember who was it so i guess uh, ref just had to had to then call it, even though was it was it like a VAR yeah. call? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So he didn't initially even even call it, but yeah, I can't complain too much. But I think it is it was still a bit weak. So when you're up two two nil early, I think everyone was thinking to themselves, "Man, this is going to be another six one romping of Bologna at home." And I get the weak penalty, and I thought, slight aside, I really thought Summer was going to save that penalty. He got a hand on it almost, if not entirely, and just couldn't period aside. But after the penalty, it felt like we stemmed the tide all right going into halftime. And then an Inzaghi team did what an Inzaghi team does, which is it came out of halftime entirely flat. I thought Bologna really took control of the situation in the first 10 or 15 minutes after halftime, which ultimately led to them getting their equalizer. Jay, I know this is a big pet peeve of yours, so I want your thoughts. Well, yeah, you already expressed them. We have this ongoing issue with uh, Inzaghi where we seem to come out for the second half just looking unmotivated, somehow less fit as well, as if the energy is being sapped from the players by some lethargic team talk. Um, The problem is it happens regardless of the match situation. If we're playing well, the the players seem to come out and play not as well. If we're playing badly, we don't get a reaction either. You know, sometimes or so often we want the players to come out and show a, a renewed spirit some more energy, some more enthusiasm, but it's just not there. And, you know, I've, I've frequently made the same repetitive joke that Inzaghi just goes in there and uh, tells the players to defend and just demotivates them. Uh, obviously, we don't know what he's saying to the guys, but I struggle to see how it's possible that this is such a common occurrence with us. So, yeah, it is a bit worrying, if I'm being completely honest. The... Lack of response then carried over. There, even after Bologna equalized, we failed to get a real footing in the match. I thought things turned for the worse again. Winter Ram came off in favor of Sanchez. The, the attacking possibilities really eroded. And in my opinion, we didn't really have any genuine scoring chances until the last 
10 minutes of the match, which honestly corresponds with Hazlani being subbed on. Irfan, just want to get your thoughts. Did, what do you think was the point where you realized that we were not scoring a goal in this match? Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting, right? I, I feel like there's a couple of things I noted before that. So I, I think ultimately I knew as soon as um, we started that second half that it was going to be it was going to be a battle. And I felt like uh, Bologna had the upper hand. Um, I, I honestly thought for a long time um, that we were going to be able to, to score right at the end. Um, but then, you know, the, the context is important. So a couple of things. For, first of all, uh, I remember within like the first five minutes of the match, even in the first half, I was like, this Xerxes guy is pretty good. Like he's, he's not bad. Like he's, he's a decent player and he's given us some trouble. So he, he was giving us some trouble pretty early on, or at least setting himself apart from the rest of the Bologna squad pretty early on. So props to him. Um, the second thing was, you know, w- when we started the second half, we didn't look like we were totally with it. The lack of response was there. Uh, but I would challenge the fact that this is a typical Inzaghi team. I feel like maybe we did that against Sassuolo, but we did the opposite against Benefica. We came out in the second half and we were just lighting up. We were attacking their goal. Um, to no end, even though it was still zero zero at that point. So that's one counterexample of this of this lethargic interside uh, in the second half. Um, but Sanchez to me has just been massively disappointing. When 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 so Inzaghi reacted pretty quickly as soon as we went down. He didn't wait like his standard you know sixty five seventieth minute to make the subs. Um, but unfortunately, one of the subs, like you mentioned, Andrew, was Taram coming off. For Sanchez, and once Sanchez came in, honestly, there was just not much there. Like, I, so far, he has been extremely disappointing to me. He has done absolutely nothing coming in as a sub, uh, or or like if he ever starts. And him and Lotaro don't even seem like they have a very good partnership. So, losing to Ram, I think, definitely seemed like our attacking style and our attacking uh, fear in terms of Bologna seemed to go away. I actually think Sanchez played pretty well. And um, one of his bigger critics, I thought, that was probably his best game since he came back. Not that there's a large sample size. But I did think, and yeah, this is the oxymoron, I guess. But I did think Turan came out too early. And maybe, you know, at this point, we could have been too... They could have scored two, so it would have been 2-2. But perhaps if he had brought Sanchez on with Turan staying on the pitch... That would have been a better outcome. Who knows? Uh, but I thought the game was crying out for uh, young Davy Clausen, and, and surprisingly, he didn't bring him on at any point. So I thought there was a bit of a mistake in keeping Barella on to the end. I was assuming Fratesi would replace Barella. So I guess I have a lot of gripes with the substitutions yesterday. I did like what Aslani brought to the game, but yeah, for me, the priorities were uh, Fratesi on for. Barella and not Mkhitaryan, and then um, and then Klassen. and as I mentioned, uh, the issue was taken off uh, Turam too early as well. Yeah, really quick, I do agree with that. I, I felt like his initial subs were basically swapping out both wing backs and then putting in Sanchez for Turam, and and I felt like looking at that match that what we needed bet- more was help in the midfield. Um, Barella just did not, to me, seem to have a very good game at all. And I think Hakan and Mkhitaryan were both also not as good as they usually are. 
And so to me, that game, the, the, the match at that moment seemed like it needed midfield help more than swapping out wingbacks and, um, you know, replacing Toronto. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I, I understand why you'd bring Quadrado on, but I don't think Dumfries played badly at all. I thought Dumfries was fine and he didn't seem fatigued. He didn't, like, you can see when Dumfries kind of reaches the end of his usefulness, he starts just jerking around like some rag doll and flinging himself around and fouling people. Uh, but he wasn't anywhere near that point. I still felt he could have been useful and what Quadrado brings is completely different. He's not going to really attack the far post the way Dumfries does. He's not going to provide any aerial threat or make those late runs into the box. He's going to be on the ball and trying to beat his man and deliver a cross. So that's useful in its own right, obviously. Um, and, you know, had Quadrado assisted, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I thought Dumfries still had more to offer and that we should have just stayed the course with those with wingbacks, especially Dumfries, uh, longer than we did. Um, so it looks like at least the two of us have some pretty serious gripes with those subs. And part of the problem is when you have players who are as poor defensively as DeMarco and Quadrado, you can't put them on the pitch at the same time, or at least an Italian manager would not be willing to do that. So if you want to put Quadrado on for Dumfries, you're pretty much forced to sub off DeMarco. It just isn't... There, there isn't the balance that Inzaghi desires if you have Quadrado and DeMarco playing together. Miko, do you have any gripes with the substitutions from yesterday? Yeah, I, th- I think those uh, wingback substitutions was maybe just to get some extra, like extra energy, energy to our game, but it didn't really, <laughs> really bring anything. Where okay, okay, Augusto was pretty good. He was actually. To me, it was almost great, but the rest of the team wasn't like with him when he made those runs, and like he, he actually fought fought there pretty well. But then I agree that Trump's substitution was a bit odd because it happened so early, because it, it kind of took away as the possibility to bring like Sanchez in as a uh, as the third forward. So yeah. that. That was a bit strange decision, but we don't know. We don't know all the facts behind these these substitutions. Like maybe Turan was just feeling feeling just tired. Maybe his legs were, were like <laughs> maybe he was just tired. He he's played pretty pretty much recently. He has started like maybe most of our matches. So yeah. uh, we we don't we don't know what's the what's behind this. But I think that was that was one thing I wasn't like. Too happy at that point. That was like three minutes after we conceded the equalizer. He made those uh, that triple substitution. So that was like over half an hour with Alexis on the pitch. But yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe Klaassen indeed would have been some someone who had, who would have like uh, been able to unlock unlock the defense because. Uh, we need to. I think we need to give some credit to Motta and Bologna. They they've considered like four four goals in this season before before this match. So we we scored two on them. So I think their defense is pretty pretty good as as we saw yesterday. And maybe the issue for us 
was indeed that there was a there was this lack of what's the, what's the good word urgency or urgency and, and like they weren't active enough trying to look for that goal we just tried to like cycle our own game and 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 find the find the holes and there weren't any holes in the in their in their midfield especially so i don't know it, it felt like uh, uh, yeah I, I, i'll just finish uh, i think i think that inside just uh, maybe i dropped the ball a bit here because uh he didn't go go for the win like for real but yeah i, I just repeat that we don't know what's behind this turam sanchez sub but i think that was a pretty significant significant uh, thing in our in our game because we could have used chances there in the midfield to open up open up their uh, their block tight block a bit that's how i feel i i i really feel like you can't understate overstates how much this Arnautovic injury has completely screwed us. When you have two starting forwards and you only have one, a half of one substitutes who can replace them, we don't have many options off the bench. We don't, we, we won't give young Sarah a chance. And the problem you're running into is that there's no levers for Nzagi to pull. And if he takes someone as awesome as Taram off the pitch, there's not really any other bullets left for him. He, what else can he do? It's You run into this stale attack, and I get frustrated when our it's the 86th minute, we're chasing a goal, and we're still trying to cycle through build-up play from the back. I wish we would take a more direct approach. I wish we would you know, allow Quadrado to try taking on the man more rather than this gradual build-up play of a chair be laterally passing to Bastoni because I think you hit the nail on the head, Miko. There's, there just didn't look like there was enough urgency yesterday until the last four or five minutes of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with the Sanchez, the issue is that if uh, whoever you replace uh, or uh, whoever you uh, bring out to bring in Sanchez, Sanchez is not going to replace uh, Turam or Lautaro in terms of playing style at all. At least Arnautovic can play this kind of a well poor striker, but Sanchez is is this kind of a support striker at best, and and that that's obviously an issue here. So we we definitely need to or Insagi needs to find some kind of a uh, system in these kind of cases that maybe bring in Klaassen and and find ways to unlock the defense that way as you sit here a month and a half into the season and Arnautovic seemingly nowhere close to returning I want to resurface a question Jay posed a few episodes ago of did this team make a mistake signing you know this aging player to a large transfer fee like would the a better move have been to sign someone for a similar price who is let's just say, a, a step down in quality, but at least you'd be able to reliably count on them to play 38 matches, you know, someone with less of an injury history. Because it, it really feels like this injury has thrown our entire attack into 
a bit dismay. Disarray. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting, right? I mean, we kind of knew going in, and I remember saying this and going on the record, that you know, with the limited resources that the club has, we kind of have to pick and choose what position we're going to end up being kind of weak in. Um, and so I think there's something to the fact that a lot of us thought that, you know, we're mentioning initially Arnautovic signing is kind of like a joke. Um, and But the problem is that with, with the forwards the way they are, the the amount of money you need, even for like kind of a mediocre youngish talent, seems to be pretty high. Um, you could argue, I don't know how much was paid for like Radagui or whatever his name is. Ra, Ra, I don't know how to say it, but um, Rategi, yeah, yeah, Rategi. I don't know how much money was paid for him, but some someone like that, that kind of profile, uh, would have been a little bit better, uh, maybe a little riskier, um, but you know, bigger promise uh, if, if it hits. With Arnautovic, I think it was one of those, like, you know, safe signings. You bring in this veteran. Um, and so, I don't know. I think there's something to that. But it, it's hard to say without really understanding, like, what the names would have been and the price. Because remember, we were, before Arnautovic, we were looking for someone like Taremi or, or Morata. And the pricing for those guys was just insane. So, I feel like the striker market pricing kind of limited us more than our ability to find somebody, but Arnautovic being gone has definitely, definitely hurt us um, quite a bit. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe it does deserve a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, revisiting the, the past. I think it's a bit of both. Like I agree with what you're saying, but Arnautovic costing 10 million at his age becoming the second most expensive player uh, second only to literally one of the greatest of all time in Cristiano uh, at his age kind of disqualifies him from being considered a, a safe signing if you know what I mean like maybe if we brought on Adovich for free then yeah uh, but for 10 million is for 10 million of our very very limited budget is I think really questionable Real Madrid are playing Hosello, which they got from, or who they got from, relegated Espanyol, you know what I mean? And he's doing fine. Granted, he's a former Real Madrid player, and so there's, I think, a need for homegrown players and that kind of thing. So it would have been a great opportunity for them. But I think when you bring in a player, like a less fancied but uh, more reliable player, you can at least somewhat expect the better environment to bring out the best in them. I think that's partly what we see with the likes of Acherbi and Damien, for example, who were, I mean, they were, Acherbi, to begin with, was nothing more than a pretty solid, uh, reliable, respectable Serie A defender, you know, but nothing special. And he comes to Inter, and next thing you know, he's marking Haaland out of a Champions League final. Acherbi as well, brought in for $1.5 as a 32-year-old from Parma, never expected to, sorry, Damien, um, never expected to, really be much of a protagonist but again part of a crucial or played a crucial role in that Champions League finalist defense um, you know we're seeing this trend a lot and hopefully there's still time for Anatovic to join that that trend of kind of older unfancied players who have provided greater output than expected but it just seemed a bit risky and it's hard to kind of include Anatovic in that bunch when he costs so much more 
and we can always talk about scouting. It's one of those really murky gray areas where we see other teams or other players and, and say, why didn't we get that guy? Why didn't we get this guy? And it's a pretty pointless discussion to have, but I guess, and it's hard to blame Morata when we've had so many wins with like Jekko and uh, Cherby, Damian, Mkhitaryan, etc. But yeah, I guess it's maybe he's pushed his luck too much this time with the Quadrado and Anatovic and Sanchez part two signings. They just felt especially lazy, even for uh, a guy who, you know, I, I constantly rip on as having the same uh, scouting list since 2015, you know? Yeah, one one quick thing with that. I think you didn't mention it, Jay, credit to you, but one of the things I have heard from other Inter fans is if you're going to go with someone like Arnautovic, you should have just kept Dzeko. Um, and no. Re- yeah, exactly. I, I feel like that's, that's just also lazy. Like if we're going to talk about the club at sometimes being lazy and too risk-averse, um, then that definitely would have been a mistake because I can 100% guarantee you if we would have kept Jekko, you would have seen Jekko Lataro for probably the first three or four months until Jekko gets injured. You would have almost never seen Taram um, because that's just Inzaghi's style. So I, I definitely, you know, I, I think you can raise flags about Tarnatovic signing. Um, the money, like you mentioned, is probably the biggest one because I do think we got pretty fleeced in trying to get him. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am glad that we moved on from Jekko, and I don't think a return to Jekko would have been something in hindsight that would have been better for the club, frankly. Okay, I'm not going to comment on Jekko or, or Arnautovic signing. I'm just going to mention that uh, yesterday when Juventus won Torino, they started with uh, Moise Keen and Timothy Wea, and then they brought in Milik from the bench. Uh, so I wouldn't call our forward situation to be a terrible. I think I think it's more about we need to find ways how to work with, with the guys we have available at the moment. Because uh, uh, they, they won 2-0. And okay, I, I didn't watch the match, but uh, looking at the stats, it wasn't like Torino was, was having a great game or anything. I do like not to turn this into U.S. national team talk, but like you, you go and you watch the team, like being in America, Irfan and I, and to see Juve roll out Weah at striker and McKenny as a right wing back, I'm just looking at Allegri and going, "Dude, what are you doing? Like, this is not how you're supposed to be using these players." Yeah, that was well surprising. It's working. It's working. <laughs> Uh, so it, going big picture now, since the Milan Derby thrashing, Milan have ripped off four consecutive wins, I believe, whereas we are floundering. We've dropped two matches at home to inferior opponents, just like that. They are ahead of us on the table. We are seconds. They are in first. It's a little demoralizing, right, guys? I mean, you, you go off, you have this incredible emotional high of just beating them for the fifth time this year, and you throw away that built-in advantage where now they control their destiny again and you're the ones having to chase them. It's just that was probably the saddest part of yesterday for me, having to know that all the work you put in 
to annihilate them is kind of for naught at the moment as you're stuck looking up of the, up at them again. Yeah, well, actually, that doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's the same co- concept in UFC or MMA, right? Just because one guy can reliably beat, you know, this other fighter or this other team, doesn't mean that that team can't beat pretty much everyone else, and that you know, it doesn't always work that way. So, I think the fact that we destroyed Milan and beat them five times in a row kind of led a lot of fans to believe that the gap between us and Milan was significantly larger than it is and that by extension we probably beat everyone else in the league and additionally and worst of all that Milan are much worse than they are which again these are all things that I've argued against I've long as you know maintained that not to say that they're great but they're better than what a lot of Inter fans give them credit for because again if you're basing it purely off the derbies then of course you're going to think they're trash right but it's not the case, and it may be the case that Milan have a team which is has more different types of weapons to kind of maintain a balance and consistency in winning across a league format. We may have the perfect tools to beat them day in, day out, but they have, I guess, a physical midfield uh, and some astute players and some good passes, but what they have that we don't have is some skilled dribblers and some raw technical finesse type players that can really help you break down a defense, you know? We don't have that. And so maybe those kind of extra tools that they have can be really useful to help them break down the kinds of teams that we're seemingly struggling against. Uh, I was about to say that actually we control our future if it's just uh, match Milan's record and then we beat them in the der- next derby then we are ahead again so <laughs> let's remember <laughs> that and who's gonna who's gonna believe that Milan wins us next time we've beaten them five times in a row now so but see this is this, this is my main concern yeah this is my main concern with all this talk though it's way too early we're eight matches in like it, it's you could talk about trends you can talk about the same mistakes here and there that we're making and Milan's grinded out a few results, but like, it's way too early. And Jay, like, honestly, like I, I, I see a level of panic and despondency among inter fans that I've never seen in a long time, to be honest, it seems, it seems totally nuts that uh, we consistently um, worry about the team, which is fine as a fan, you should be, but like you can worry about your team, without completely like extolling the other teams that we're up against. I mean, like Bologna, like Bologna is a great example. Like it's, and you find it's funny. You mentioned it. I called it a loss. I did. Cause I've been in this, I've been in this like echo chamber of like inter fan, just meltdown for like the last like 24 hours. It's, it's, it's really nuts. And we just have to remind ourselves that like we are eight matches in no club is going to go and have, like a, a season where they have zero losses or they have like almost no draws and, and Milan again, like you, if you watch their match yesterday and you watch their match in the champions league, like, yes, they will get occasional um, positive results without playing so well, but we do that too. And over the course of 38 matches, a lot of that seems to kind of normalize. And so I, I'm totally fine criticizing our team and worrying about, some of the same old performance gaps that we seem to see without being too worried about 
teams like Milan or otherwise, because, you know, we need to focus on what we need to do and we need to stop pretending that the other team that might've just jumped in front of us in the table is somehow perfect. They had 18. Again, I keep bringing this up because I feel like Inter fans still are just fixated on the Scudetto uh, two years ago. Milan had 18 draws or losses last year. That's more than us, even though we had more losses. And so they're going to drop points like any other team would. Man- Manchester City, you put them in our league and they're going to drop points. So we need to focus more on what we're going to do and worry less about some, you know, eighth match day jump up by Milan. I, I understand your point, but the, the reason I'm particularly concerned right now is because th- this is what we're seeing is exactly the reason why I did not pick Inter to win the Scudetto, and that's Inzaghi does not have a track record of being able to balance competitions. And we looked like the best team in the league through the first five match days, which I don't think it's a coincidence. There were no European fixtures kind of interwoven in that time. And then you go and you thrash Milan and you immediately have a European fixture. And since we've played our two Champions League matches, we've dropped points in two league matches. And for the second consecutive season, I have legitimate concerns about Nzagi's ability to manage a team through two competitions. It's Three. what we've played. What's that, sorry? Three competitions. Uh, I'm not. No one cares about the Copa Italia. You, Inter fans can pretend they care about the Copa Italia. I will not. I do not care about the Copa. So you've got, you've got to balance the Champions League. You've got to balance the league. And the fact of the matter is, last year we lost 11 games, and it was a large part because we couldn't balance the schedule. And I'm afraid we're starting down that. I'm afraid we're starting down that spiral again. We're we're going to go. We're going to come back after the international break and play Torino, Torino or whomever. Then you'll go and play Salzburg, and then we'll be back where we started. Of you know, we have to rotate, and suddenly we can't maintain the level of intensity. So after the Sassuolo match, I I, I know I was the guy saying you're not going to win 38 games, but then to go back and respond to this way after a Champions League win. I'm concerned again, and I, I think you have to be a little concerned after the past two or three seasons of this. Well, well, again, like what you said is exactly fine. Like it's totally fine. Notice you didn't mention, you didn't mention Milan. You didn't mention some other team. You didn't mention all the other clubs that are our rivals being perfect going forward for the next thirty match days. You talked about an issue that we have, which I think is a true is a true issue. I think a lot of people see it. And you talked about what we need to do to fix it. And that's totally fine. I agree with all of that. It's just this idea that we are somehow mentally inferior to Milan or to some other club, or that all these other clubs are going to perform so much better than us in the league that we're going to end up, you know, battling for the top four spot again. That that's the kind of like sentiment, that's the kind of discussion that irritates me. I got no problem criticizing our team and criticizing Inzaghi for not figuring out a better way to handle the fixture list because I think that's 100% true. In fact, one of my biggest criticisms, I think, from Inzaghi is that he still doesn't quite figure out which players need to be replaced or rested, which don't, and he needs to do a better job of figuring out how to integrate the the higher quality subs that we have now on our team than we did before because a lot of them can bring something different if he would deploy them um, in a different way. So again, criticizing us, worrying about us, totally okay. But this level of meltdown where we're already conceding to Milan is absolutely ridiculous to me. And I don't think you're doing that. So 
Um, again, criticizing us, totally fine. Okay, so I think any other miscellaneous thoughts from you guys on the Bologna fixture before we maybe jump backwards to Benfica? All right, hearing none, let's let's talk about the midweek Champions League fixture. So, got our first Champions League win. Unlike some Milanese clubs this past week, we picked up a win over Benfica. <laughs> I, I think it was a good performance that left something to be desired because while Benfica didn't create any chances, you really felt like we should have scored more. It, I don't know. Jay, give me your thoughts on Lotaro's performance because he definitely left some meat on the bone. Yeah. Um, on another day, he could have scored more. I'm one of those really anal types that will get, you know, always point out that extra 5% more that could have been done. I guess I'm a bit of a perfectionist that way in my own just work and nature, but hard to really criticize uh, the game. I felt we completely dismantled them for the most part, really showed the, the dominance and the golf between the two clubs. You know, Benfica are a tricky opponent. They're a team with a lot of heritage in the Champions League. They have some good players, and obviously they're one of the big three in their in their own league. And so it's important to show that there is a class gap when you play teams like that. You have to remind them this is a different game. This is a different level here. And I felt we did a good job of that. Like I said, maybe if you know, Lataro was just a little bit more astute in his finishing, uh, we'd be celebrating a bigger win. But other than that, yeah, can't really complain. I was also quite uh, happy with... I think Pavard was named man of the match actually against uh, against uh, Benfica. If I'm not mistaken, he put in a great game as well. So happy to see him really cement his place in the in the starting lineup. Yeah, we yeah. need to remember that uh, in the first half, it wasn't like too great by us. It was actually pretty. I wouldn't say even, but we didn't do much in the first half, uh, at least in, in the attack. But then. We gotta give some credit this time to Insaki for for his halftime talk because we really came out like all kinds blazing and we started to like really really press hard hard for them and we could have like we had like what was it Lauter had like four chances clear clear chances and we could have scored like five half six goals at least if I remember. He had like had he had he like like two posts and and then yeah. two breakaways and and then this yeah. one yeah one one touch. One I saw touch some chance. papers. I saw a, uh, like one of the Italian papers kind of pointing out the disparity in in his rating. They were saying some outlets were rating him as low as five point five, and others were going as high as seven, uh, and basically. Well, presumably the that disparity is due to some choosing to praise his industriousness and his constant effort and others choosing to kind of criticize his lack of efficiency. Uh, which side of the fence are you guys on here? Because for me, it's a bit of both. Like on one hand, definitely, I think his effort is, if anything, his main quality, right? The fact that he's always trying and always hustling and always working, that's his strongest skill arguably but I do agree at the same time like I mentioned that his finishing can be a little bit too instinctive you know I've always said his nickname El Toro the bull 
just suits him perfectly because that's the way he plays. It's so bullish, so headstrong, so instinctive. He sees red and he just charges, right? And that's kind of why I feel he snatches at a lot of chances, but it's the same kind of instinct that allows him to score so many really nice first-time volleys and things like this as well. So uh, what can you do? It's one of those it-is-what-it-is type situations. But where do you guys sit on that fence? Yeah, I think I'm more on the side of I'll praise his industriousness. Like his, his finishing sometimes I think is extremely irritating um, because he does lack just that extra second of like composure to just either place the shot or take that, take that touch to, to open up the angle sometimes. Um, but, but I think one of the things that, that is nice is that when he plays the way he was uh, playing against Benefica, even though he didn't put away those chances, um, there's so much, positive that so much positivity that goes on when you're attacking the other team's goal with such kind of reckless abandon consistently, it really prevents the other team from getting into the match at all. You know? So if you were to ask me, like, is it better if there's almost no chances for inter and we're under siege, but then Lotaro gets that clutch goal, or is it better for us to completely kind of blitzkrieg their, their, um, you know, their goal um, chance after chance after chance, and he only puts away like one of them, or he doesn't put away any of them, but the team gets a goal. Um, I think that's still better overall for our match game because it prevents the other team from getting back into the game at all, and it puts them under siege pretty much throughout and puts us on the front foot. So I think in that sense, it's good when he's that charged up because the team is just preventing the other team from any chance. Just one thought really quick before we hear Miko and uh, Andrew's thoughts on that question, Jay. It's like, I, I just want to give props to, to Ram, uh because that finish he had on that goal was incredible. And he's had a few goals now where he's had, he's shown some really good um, finishing and really good shot placement and good, good shooting. And it's one of those things that I think if you go back to like the inter, the general inter fan narratives, they were all very much, you know, skeptical of Taram as a real forward um, and we and I and we voiced the same concern first couple of match days in. He was doing a lot of the other things, but he wasn't doing the goal scoring that well. So props to him um, for really kind of showcasing some of his talent at, as a as a goal scorer as well. And it's been a, a pleasant surprise to see how important he's become. Yeah, I have uh, not, nothing to add add for the for for La- Lautaro's uh, performance. Uh, I would definitely give credit to him because, like you said pretty well, that it's better be on them than just uh, not have any chances if he's there all the time, like pressing them and and being being on the spot. And despite like uh, like missing those chances, it, it it puts the opponent on the back foot by default, and. Actually, I remember that uh, I think UEFA gave him the Player of the Match award. Yeah, so they were crediting him, but I don't remember which which papers in Italy was like going back and forth, which one appreciated the effort and <laughs> which ones didn't. What about you, Andrew? How do you see it? Yeah, so of the like four chances, I think you can say there's four that Lotaro missed. I thought the the real unlucky one was the one that went off the crossbar. That that felt like a great shot that he just 
you know, missed by an inch that I can't be too upset about. Some of the other chances that he missed were a little maddening, but I'm not. When, when you win, it's a lot easier to digest. You know what I mean? Like, even yeah. if you talk about the Bologna <laughs> match, like, if you, we were to score a third goal, a lot of the gripes we have with Nzagi's substitutions kind of go away. So it's hard to be too critical when you get the job done and you win. But if we had drawn nil-nil, I'd be the first guy on a firing line trying to blast Lataro into the sun. So it, it can go both ways. Yeah, it was. We didn't like give anything to Benfica, but I remember right in the end, we gave them like a totally free corner kick, and yeah. that was a bit like, "Come on, dudes!" Can you, like, yeah, the, and the guy won the head. The guy got a head on the shot on goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it goes it goes back to one of those things that Jay was saying uh, earlier on during the transfer window talk, and. I think we expressed a little bit of a concern. So if you look at the Sassuolo match versus Benefica versus Bologna, uh, you know, one of the things that worries me is that we, we have trouble just shutting a team down. Like it's, it's hard for us when we have a league going into the uh, Sassuolo match, we were up one nil and against Bologna, we were up two nil. And it, it seems like Inzaghi at some point, you know, seems to struggle with, should we keep, playing the way we're playing or should we start to kind of fade a little bit and just defend the lead? And I think he doesn't have the right personnel to, to, to move into that like fortress mode of we're going to just defend this lead now for like 30 minutes the way like Mourinho or someone might like, we don't have that player. I think especially in the midfield that can come in and just completely shut down the other team and not let them get anything so we can protect this lead for like 20, 30 minutes. And so that's one of the things I think we're going to have to keep looking out for going forward is, you know, when this team is nil-nil, when this team is down, they've showed some heart, they show some effort, but when they have a lead and they need to protect the lead, you know, we started off the season doing really well with that, but I think we've faded a little bit in the last couple of matches, just giving up um, some, you know, unnecessary goals and showing a little lack of composure and lack of focus uh, on the defensive side. Yeah, um, agree completely. Uh, I've long, long uh, moaned our inability to sign a proper uh, DM in that sense, even though we don't necessarily mainline with a, a truly defensive midfielder as part of our tactics. I, I think that kind of player is always useful, you know. And it's not like me to say this, but it did, it did kind of jog my memory on something. I'll also say that a lot of our goals recently have been caused by just straight up brain farts from individual players, right? Lataro's or goals conceded rather. Lataro's uh, uh, penalty, penalty that he gave away, uh, the Soma mistake against uh, Bajrami in Sassuolo, and then the Bastoni mistake in uh, Sociedad. So, I guess that's if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, you'd hope that the individual kind of shocking errors start to fade away after a while, and that the system comes more into play because we can't keep basically dropping points due to individual errors. This is not Man United with Anana, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if you look at the Bologna equalizer, that was like a series of of, of some, some kind of fuck-ups by different players. It was like, at first, I looked this, looked this goal and, and it was first like they were all, all our... All, 
all our central defenders, they were went for Xerxi, or all three, and then then Azerbaijan power, they decided to, okay, okay, now this Pastonis guy is free. We go both there. And after that, Pastoni looks, okay, now the power guy is free and the, on our right flank. I go there, and then then there's no one like on 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 the guy with the ball and then he has, has like a free shot on the edge of the box and that was like a lot of lot of miscommunication or some kind of a lack of lack of cohesion between the three yeah. and i i think uh that that's one one issue we need to pay attention that there won't be this lack of cohesion in well I would say you can't like minimize that to zero, but minimize that as much as possible, because our playing style is usually that we we keep the ball, and we don't let let the opponent run the game too much, uh, and uh, and that that then leads to these kind of situations when when our defenders need to run to our box if we like let them let them let them have this type of passes like let Polonia. Them cook. <laughs> we can't let them cook from the midfield and that that wasn't like a too um, how would i say it didn't look too dangerous at first but then i think it started from dumfries um, missing a pass and then he uh, we just uh we lost the ball in the midfield and then then midfielder i don't remember who was it who was it uh he made the pass to Zirkzi, and then then all this all, all these fuck ups happened, and yeah. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't completely sure about about Sommer either. What was happening, happening there? It was like him pulling some Handanovic freezing again. Like a, I don't know, maybe he didn't see the ball or something, but it was just weird. He didn't he even kinda, try. He, he was preempting Xerxes to open his body up and go for that far post curler instead. Xerxes. Obviously, just kind of yeah. placed it in the inside post, but it was too cl- far away to, to you know to go down that yeah. early and preempt the shot. It's like a, a penalty where the goalkeeper needs to move, you know. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the edge of the box, and the the shot wasn't like it wasn't some great shot. It was well placed, but it wasn't some super strong or, or anything. Oh, no, that's the thing. It didn't need to be because he just tricked the goalkeeper. But yeah. It's no, if you, look, if you look at the play, he, I think Summer moved over because there was a defender running through the middle there, and he was anticipating maybe a pass to that defender. And so, if he was more central in goal, he would have been better positioned, I think, to 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 react to that pass. And Xerxes kind of sold that pass and then shot to the near post. So I think it was it was like a good. He kind of like looked off the keeper a little bit. Um, and you could say he should have done better, but I think that's what his motive was um, for kind of mm. moving to the other side. Okay, okay. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So I think that that's a good cap on the Benfica match. I want to, we don't have a match to preview, obviously, with the international break coming up. So I want to end this episode with a game of buy or sell. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to pose a statement to you all. We'll go around the room, and you'll have to choose whether or not you buy it, aka agree with it, or sell it, aka you're saying this isn't going to happen or this won't be a thing. And we'll maybe check back on these in a few months and see how we all did. 
So my fir- now they're mostly going to be intercentric, but I'll mix in some non-inter ones as well. So starting with, I want to talk about Fertese. So this funny thing has been happening where Barella has been playing, I think, pretty poorly in some matches. And Mkhitaryan's actually been subbed off in a few matches, which is unprecedented territory for Hinton at Inter. So my question for you all here is, buy or sell for Tazy is going to be a regular starter for this team by the end of the season. We can start with Herfan. Uh, I... Uh... Such a tough one. Uh, I I say buy, um, but not to replace Barella. I think to eventually probably replace Mkhitaryan. I, I think Inzaghi's still trying to figure out the best way to play um, Fratesi in the midfield, uh, and uh, his like little injury recently I think hasn't helped. But I'm gonna go ahead and buy it. I think he'll be a more regular starter, a more consistent starter by the end of the year. All right, one by Jay. I say sell. Um, I just don't think Borrell is losing his place anytime soon, and Mkhitaryan is too important to our game because he's our one fluid and kind of midfielder that you know glides between the lines, brings the ball forward, uh, creativity and vision. And so, without him, we'd be pretty screwed, to be honest. Which is, I mean, firstly, it's a credit to him, but also a little bit of a indictment on our recruitment that. You know, this 34-year-old guy that we picked up for free is is that crucial to our game. And I don't <laughs> think that was remotely, you know, deliberate. It's not like we signed Kevin De Bruyne for free or something like that. You know what I mean? This was not, this was not planned in any way. So um, that opens up a whole other can of worms. But, yeah, I think I, I'm encouraged by the fact that Inzaghi does bring off Barella uh, a bit more uh, and a bit, sooner into the game than he used to. Um, although he should have done that against Bologna. Uh, but, yeah, I still don't see him, like, you know, effectively benching Barella for Fratesi. So I say sell. It's an interesting point you just made because I was thinking about this. And really, like, Mkhitaryan was signed to be a substitute. Brozovic gets hurt. And Hakan has to be shifted to the Regista role. Exactly. That- that that Brozovic injury, it's funny to see how much it shaped our past summer Mercato. But okay, Miko, what about you? Buy or sell? Uh, I'm gonna sell as well. I don't see Fratesi, Fratesi replacing any of those starters either. I think he is gonna come in for Barella usually. Just just to there's just a way to for Inzaghi to save Barella more, but uh, I don't see him taking place from either one. Because as Jay said, I don't think Mikitarian will lose his spot too easily. He's so versatile and, and important. And I, I I don't see Fratesi having this kind of qualities Mikitarian has. Yeah, completely so, yeah. different. Sell. Sell for me. I am I'm a buy on this one only because I'm concerned about Mkhitaryan being able to play this much football for two seasons with his same level of effectiveness. I think he's going to start start to show some wear and tear sooner than later, and for that reason, I think he's I'm going to go be a buy on this one. 
So my next one for you is over the past week after, while we beat Benfica, Sociedad went and beat Salzburg. They are now at the top of our group, actually, based on some tiebreakers. Us and them both have four points. Salzburg has three points. Benfica has zero points. So buy or sell that Sociedad's going to be the second or other team to qualify out of our group. I'll reverse it and start with Miko this time. Yeah, buy. I think they are they are that good that they will they will end up end up being the second one, and I think it it intervenes the group. Uh, but uh, but I think. Benfica will be a lot better at home than what they were at Meaza. But I think Sociedad will still beat them at home at least. I don't know about in Benfica home match, but I think those are the deciding matches anyway. And because Benfica already like uh, like wasted one Salzburg match, they're, they're in a tough position. They they really need to win win their next match against Sociedad, mm. and I'm not sure can they really do that. But if they can, then it's then it's more open. But but still, Sociedad uh, is the favorite favorite there. Jay, um, that's a tough question. I think Benfica have that football heritage, uh, as Mourinho said. Um, so I think they'll really push it to the end. But I mean, it's not what what is it four point gap between them and the the top of the group or the top two points in the places in the group. I don't think that's an insurmountable gap at this point. Uh, but given that the other opponent is Salzburg, and you'd expect Sociedad and us to to take max points from them. Uh, it's hard to see Benfica catching up based on that. So I'm going to say bye. So Sociedad will qualify from the group. Irfan? Yeah, I'm buying. I'm all in. Call them Sociedaddy, as, uh, as they said. Um, I think they're going to finish second in the group. Benfica, I think, just started off way too slow. Um, and they'll they'll try to recover. They'll do well. But ultimately, I feel like society, uh, Real Sociedad has probably a better, uh, better quality um, than 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 uh, Benfica do at this point. Benfica's just lost too many of their better players. I think they're going to struggle a little bit in the Champions League. I'm going to be a sell on this one. I, I'm not willing to give up on Benfica yet. If Benfica can go and beat Sociedad in Lisbon. This group suddenly will look a lot closer than it does right now. So for that reason, I'm a sell and I'm not giving up on Benfica yet. Because you love uh, John Mario? Because I love John Mario and I just want nothing but for him to succeed in the world. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Let's go to our friends, Milan. So they've drawn their first two Champions League matches, obviously sitting at two points as a result in a tough group with PSG, Dortmunds, and apparent world beaters, Newcastle. Buy or sell, Milan are going to qualify from their Champions League group. Irfan. Um, qualify to the next round of the Champions League? Sell. 
Um, I don't think they're going to do it. I, I think they've looked pretty pedestrian in, in the Champions League so far. Um, but then again, honestly, Dortmund and PSG look pretty pedestrian too. Newcastle seem so far to be a better club than, you know, at least performance-wise, um, than I think the other parties have been performing. Uh, I, I pick Milan to finish third in this group. Um, I, I, I am selling. I don't think they're going to qualify for the next round. I don't think I really need to ask, but Jay? Can I buy more than once? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think Milan and Newcastle qualify from this group. Uh, you know, if there's one thing I hate as much as Milan, it's English. Uh, it's just English football. So naturally the two worst possible scenarios, which are Milan qualifying and the English team qualifying, are, yeah, just bound to happen to, to cause more... Uh, pain in the world <laughs> Nico yeah Mila uh, as Irfan was was mm, you were saying that Newcastle was pretty strong but Milan was actually looking or making them look like a pedestrian in the first match but they didn't manage to win that and I think that was a key uh, key key for, for, for Newcastle and now that Newcastle managed to win PSG that will make them uh, to be in a much better position than Milan Milan's gonna be because Milan needs to re- visit Newcastle also and that's that's not gonna be pretty uh, I'm selling uh, I'm not gonna uh, I, I don't see Milan, Milan going past PSG in this one PSG I think they will, they will win at least one once Milan their home and then then maybe in the away match as well. I think the, the quality gap is too big. I, I don't see Milan being able to, able to defend against Mbappe and, and, the, and the guys. Maybe there's the out of chance if if Mbappe is injured or something. Yeah, All self- I have to say. <laughs> All Sorry. I have to say is Champions League DNA. Bye. <laughs> so to level sets for my next one, right now Lazio is up 2-0 on Atalanta. That's a live score for you. Lazio is sitting 10th in the table. They've already lost four matches. Roma is sitting eight points in the table, and they have looked absolutely horrible conceding 11 goals, but they've also actually scored quite a few goals with 15. So buy or sell. What's that, sorry? Oh, it's just a half of them are from Empoli. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) I didn't think of that, but that's actually a very valid point. So my question for you is buy or sell. One of the two Roman clubs finishes the year in the bottom half of the table. And I'll start with Irfan. Uh, bottom half. Oh man, um, I'm gonna sell. They uh, they both don't look great, but I think they have enough to end up in the top uh top half of the table. I I think they might both miss out on Europe though. Um, I just don't feel like either of those clubs inspires a lot of confidence, and I think Lazio playing in the Champions League is actually gonna hurt them a lot in the league. Um. And Roma is just, you know, unless our savior Lukaku is um, 
you know, in some kind of torrid form. I just don't see them doing that well either. So, uh, but I do think they both have enough to be in the top half, but I'll say they'll both miss out on, um, on the champions league. So I'll sell on this one. Jay. Tough question. I can, I can definitely see Roma just having a historically dog shit season ending in Mourinho being sacked and then like sabotaging himself to getting sacked. And then, you know, blaming everyone but himself um, as much as I love the guy. It's probably hard to tell from the way I speak about him sometimes. But, um, <laughs> I can see one of those seasons. Uh, however, they do have a lot of players out with injury right now. Um, and Lazio are adjusting to life without SMS. So there's some some time needed for both coaches, right? I think, and if you look at, you know, I had to look what the bottom half of the table actually means because it's been, you know, thankfully uh, before my time since we've ever been there. But although Stramatio only pushed us close, um, but bottom half, so like 11th onwards, that's like last season, Monza was 11th, 14, 10, and 14, right? And then you got Udinese just under them, 11, 13, 14. The season before that is Sassuolo, 13, 11, 14. Udinese again, uh, 11, 14, 13. One more season. Uh, Genoa finished 11th with 10, 12, 16. So you're looking at like, you know, between 13 to 16 losses for the season and somewhere between 10 to like 13 wins. I think it's safe to say both teams can, you know, can scrounge together more than 13 wins across the season and avoid losing. 15 times each so <laughs> we, we tried our best last season um, yeah, what kind of club loses 12 matches in the league right. um, but yeah so I'm going to sell I think they'll eventually get their, their act together enough to qualify for the top half but I think they're looking at that dreaded Europa the conference league kind of region maybe like 6th to 8th to, to and then Mourinho will have a chance to actually win a trophy next year if he's still there. Uh, Miko? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to sell as well. I think that they aren't like too far from the the half points. And actually, Roma can... can Yeah, they can, they can be ninth after, after today if they win. I think... I think with Roma you have Dybala and Lukaku, and as much as I as I don't like Lukaku anymore, I think he will he will score the necessary goals for them to be up there. And Lazio, well, yeah, uh, the quality of players for them is is well, it's it's high enough for them to be on the top half. Yeah, so like it's, it's you can't for me. You can't undersell how bad the bottom half is. I mean, as you said, Lazio are already tenth. If they, you know, assuming they don't have a interesque collapse and give up a three goal lead at home, um, yeah, they'll they'll finish top or they're already tenth, so they're going to enter that uh, that top half. The bottom half, I mean, you look through the table, you've got like Udinese who have zero wins in eight games and they've scored four goals. You've got Empoli who scored one goal in eight games. Um, yeah, two goals in seven games, no wins. Stalinitano have not won as well. Uh, so, yeah, the bottom half of the table is 
pretty dismal. It's it's almost hard to end up there unless you have like some cataclysmic, uh, you know, historically poor seasons. So yeah, just on the on the raw quality of the players alone, you would expect them to make it. And you know, they are going to get points against us. You know, lots you're going to get points against us. So add that to the total. Yes, because Inzaghi cannot beat his old team. Admittedly, this question looked a bit better last night when I was drafting it. And Lazio were down there in 16th place. I was banking on Skamaka scoring two early goals to punish them today, but no such luck. Of course you were. He's injured, I, I think. <laughs> I think he is. But he's, uh, he's not just a normal man. He can score even when injured. Um, I want to no, no, end. No, no, no. He's not injured. He's playing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was out injured for a little bit. So I remember yeah, I, had to, I had to bench him yeah. on my Syria fantasy team. Yeah, but he's back already. I I think he, I thought he would be out out for longer. But yeah, go on. Yeah, my final question to wrap this up: buy or sell? Inter are going to win the Scudetto. We'll start with Miko. Hard buy. I'm still positive that uh, we have a better squad, and Insagi is gonna manage manage this thing. Which you talked about this multi-competition dilemma we have, and uh, I think we, we're gonna we're gonna win when we we get our game in a shit uh, like in a how can I say this? Uh, we have our game, or we're gonna have our game in in such way that we will don't have these Polonia matches anymore anymore that we will. Pay more attention to the fine details, and we will uh, keep racking even more wins than we like so far had. Uh, I'm positive we we're gonna win the Scudetto eventually. There's no, really there's, there's not enough uh, competition from uh, other uh, other teams. Milan is gonna lose points at some point when they have these Verona or, or Genoa Genoa matches. They, they will. I would say they were a bit, bit lucky with that, those ones. At least Genoa. I don't, I'm not sure about the Verona match, but the Genoa match was was something that they didn't look convincing at all. And and you were. They have their own problems, and maybe maybe Napoli is is a team. If they if they can like get going, they they could they could uh, have us as worried, but. But I think we're gonna we're gonna win eventually. I didn't expect anything less, Jay. <laughs> um, life is is pain. Uh, life is suffering. So uh, I'm gonna say sell because Milan are gonna end the season 36 wins, zero draws, and two losses. <laughs> Both losses coming against us. <laughs> yeah, the Inter fan base will make themselves feel better by saying six in a row, but you know. Ultimately, no, I'm joking, obviously. Um, but it's really, it's a really tough question. I, you know, and just we have to weigh up like all the points that everyone made because I think they're all simultaneously true. I really do. I really think the Inzaghi inability to juggle competitions is true. I really, well, obviously, you know, the fact that Milan are going to drop points is true. Uh, Napoli are going to get their act together a little bit at some time is true. Juventus are going to have their moments of of spastication like against Sassuolo, but uh, that's also true. But it's also true that 
their lack of European games is going to give them a big helping hand. Um, and then, you know, there's other issues we've talked at length about, such as our lack of a DM, our striker situation, our kind of like mental lapses, which caused the Sassuolo loss and the Bologna loss, to quote Irfan. Um, <laughs> the draw, that felt like a loss. So it's really, it's, it's a really, really tough question. Um, I'm going to say loss. Oh, sorry, I'm going to say sell, um, simply because I'm, you know, all about that all about that uh, pessimistic outlook. Um, but it's going to be like a 55 to 45, you know what I mean? So like 55% sell, 45% buy. There's still a good chance that when all these factors, which I said are true, kind of even out that we end up on top, like I said, a 45% chance. But yeah, uh, I think it's between us and Milan. And I think at the moment, they just... Uh, they look to have more tools to kind of manage the the season, and I think they have more. Um, I don't know. They seem more even killed. Like they just they're not going up two 0 against some shit team and then just dropping points out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's something we haven't yet conclusively displayed evidence of being able to do. So, and that's a enormous factor, right? How can I trust this team? To, to go and get points away at Napoli or away at Juventus when I can't even trust them to like manage a two 0 lead after ten minutes, you know, against against Bologna, right? Um, so, unfortunately, I'm going to say sell, but it's a close one. Irfan, yeah, I'll just say yes, two 0 up against a shit team, um, but a shit team with a good defensive record, and that also drew against Napoli and Juventus in recent weeks. Second draw week. against Milan. Yeah, first match, first match of the season again. Milan <laughs> getting a fortuitous uh, fortuitous uh, schedule uh, result on that one. I, I think when they play again, we'll see how they how they fare. Um, but I will buy. Um, I'm not as confident as I was going into the season when I said that if we get Pavard, it's a Scudetto locked. I still stand by that though. I think ultimately getting Pavard moved the needle for us. So I'm going to buy our Scudetto chances. The one asterisk I'll put on it, uh, and I'm not, you know, second guessing um, the the call, but I really do hope that we do something in January about the forward situation, um, something that's not Caicedo. Um, I think we need some some help there, um, and and it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to, you know, exert a lot of resources. But having one extra body that might be. Um, you know, a little more clinical uh, would be super helpful in our chances, especially with all the the competition um, in the different uh, areas. Because so far, uh, I know Jay said he was, uh, you know, a little more positive on Sanchez's performance than, than maybe others were. But uh, I think Sanchez is going to be almost of little to no utility for us. And with Arnautovic being injured, I really hope we do bring in at least some kind of reinforcement in January uh, for forward. So um, with that, uh, I will still say bye, even if we don't do that. But uh, it'll be a little bit uh, tighter. A bit t- I mean, they've already kind of invalidated that, haven't they? Like Morata and others have already come out and saying we're not signing a forward in January. And Yeah, but it depends. They say that now, but it depends on like what ends up happening. I mean, if Sanchez continues to kind of struggle and do not much, and Arnautovic's injury, um, you know, uh, continues or 
if there's any setback there, then you know who knows. We'll see what they and actually end up doing. I think what Arfan's um, trying to say is after we drop points to Torino in two weeks, may- maybe we need to reevaluate things. <laughs> uh, I- I'm sticking with my cell. I'm sticking with my preseason prediction. I think you are kind of lying in the weeds here. You haven't really seen the full benefit yet of them not playing European football. But as we think both Inter and Milan are going to get out of their Champions League groups, they're going to be playing multiple times a week in January, in February. I, I just think there's a lot of value in Juve only having one match a week. And they're not that far behind us in the table. They're not that far behind Milan in the table. And for that reason, I'm sticking with them and their terrorist football. <laughs> we, we need to have this, uh, this discussion or this question after... after after Champions League, uh, League group stage because if for some reason Milan ends up going out of Europe completely and it's like pretty even in the, in the table then I don't know it might be them, them for, for the Scudetto but let's see don't worry I'm keeping the receipts and we'll revisit this and see how hilariously wrong we all were in a few months <laughs> yeah well, Napoli, all right. Napoli, Napoli takes the t- title if Rudy Garcia wins a Scudetto, <laughs> I think I'm done with the sport. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, international break, we won't really have any matches to recap. We will have a couple matches to preview, and we'll develop some other topics for you guys to keep you busy during the international break. But thanks all for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks. I'll see you later. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.